great to see all of you here. Um, I hope the next hour that we spend together is going to be one that's uh, beneficial and, and I hope interesting for you. We have some stories to tell. In fact, uh, if, if we gave this forum a name, we could call it a few different things, but um, let's call it the Tale of Two Souls. The Tale of Two Souls. Before we get started with the prayer, I just have to tell you that um, the soul that was supposed to speak, and I'm just, you know what I'm talking about when I say soul, I'm talking about uh, someone. The description in the, uh, in the book talked about a young man that was going to tell you, come here and tell you about his life. His name is Jeff. Um, he wasn't able to come. The reason he wasn't able to come is they wouldn't let him across the border. Actually, he never tried to get across the border because he knew that if he did, he'd be in a lot of trouble. He's a Christian, but he made a lot of bad choices in his life and bad decisions. And even though God has forgiven him for all of the things that he did wrong, um, and he was baptized a year ago, he's still paying in many different ways for some of those mistakes. His brother Ben is here, and he was baptized at the same time, and he also made many of the same types of experiences that Jeff did. So he's going to share his testimony. But um, before we do that, I'd like to tell you about my testimony. And before we do that, we're just going to have a short prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this week that we can be here at camp. I want to thank you for each and every one of these young people that are here this morning to hear what you have done in the lives of those that are your children. We thank you, Father, for the work of your Holy Spirit and for the work that you want to do in their lives as well. We pray that you would give them attentive ears and open hearts and that your word would be spoken. We pray this in Jesus' name. Tale of Two Souls. I guess in many ways, Ben and I are the same today because we're both Christians. He's quite a bit younger than I am. But um, where we are right now, perhaps in our experience is different, but we're both believers. It's just that we took different roads to get there. And I'd just like to share with you my experience of becoming a Christian and um, the road that I chose. I was, I believe it was 15, the first year that I went to camp. Never went to camp before that. I grew up in a Christian home, as probably most, if not all of you. My parents were probably like your parents, too. Um, did a lot of things to keep me away from trouble and to keep me on the right path, and that was a path that would one day lead to becoming a Christian. But as it goes with a lot of young people, things began to change when I was around 13 and 14 years of age. Um, even though I always knew that one day I wanted to become a Christian and intended to become a Christian, there were other things that were attracting me. I didn't get into a lot of trouble didn't do a lot of bad things. In fact, as I tell you about a couple of them, they might even make you laugh and, and wonder, well, what's the big deal about that? Things like just letting my hair grow a little bit longer, 
which was the cool thing back then. Sneaking out at night. It's kind of a, a joke around home a little bit. We tell my kids that I snuck out to go to a drive-in theater and watch the Ten Commandments. I watched uh, the Ten Commandments, which talk about honoring your father and your mother. Just dabbling a little bit in, in what the world had to offer. Remember once uh, there was a, a bush party going on and, and I had never done anything like that, but I just wanted to be there. And I just wanted to be there to see what was going on. Didn't do anything of the things that the other kids and young people were doing there. But before I knew it, there were cops everywhere. They were just crawling all over the place and, and, and people were scattering. And, and you know, before I knew what was happening, they were, you know, they... they were talking to me and, and wanted to know if I'd been drinking, and I'd said no, and, and you know, the officer you know, said, you know, breathe in my face, and, you know, because he, he, I guess, expected that I was, and obviously I was way too young to be doing that, and, and he muttered something under his breath when he realized that, yeah, I hadn't been drinking. He, you know, I just jotted down my, my name and, and, you know, who I was, and probably more to scare me than anything. But that's the kind of things that was going on in my life at that time. My parents had built fences around me and, and, and I was now able to cross over those fences and I knew that I was at a critical point in my life. And I went to camp the one year and not a whole lot happened, but the next year when I went to camp, I was 16 years old and the Lord convicted me and showed me that I needed to change. And in that process, there was... There was a very clear understanding on my part that if I didn't make that decision now, that things were going to change. Those little things that I was dabbling with would all of a sudden become bigger things. And the fences that were around me wouldn't be able to hold me back. And I knew that I would be going down the wrong road. And so I stayed behind and talked to someone at the campfire back in Webster Springs and made the decision that I wanted to become a Christian. Gave my life to the Lord. An amazing thing happened that very night. For the first time in a long time, I had slept better than I had ever slept. Let me explain why that was. Even though I couldn't do a lot of things that were wrong because of the walls and the fences that my parents had built around me, I was living in a fantasy world, in a dream world and doing all those wrong things that I knew people were doing and, and other peers were doing. And it got so bad in my life that I literally, for, for many, many months, could not fall asleep for hours and hours every night. The very night that I decided that I wanted to become a Christian, gave my life to the Lord, that changed. And over the coming months, as I repented and, and made some restitutions and really sought the Lord for forgiveness and for peace, in time he, he gave me that peace and showed me that truly he had forgiven me and put my feet on a, on a pathway that I've never regretted. I've said before that I can't stand in front of people and I can't stand in front of you this morning and tell you that I know from experience that what the world has to offer is a dead-end road and ultimately won't satisfy and that to go that road is a mistake. 
I can't tell you that from experience because I didn't experience it. The little bit that I did experience um, was more than I needed to. But I know from seeing others that I made the right choice. Before I hand the microphone over here to Ben to share his experience, I just want to tell you one more thing. When I, after camp and after the summer holidays, I went back to school. It was between the 10th and 11th grade. That's what we call it in Canada. I know you have a different name for that here in, in the States. But we had an assembly in the auditorium. And I went into the assembly and I sat there and was sitting among all the other students and I was just looking around and, and, and just, I couldn't believe what happened that summer. As I sat there, I started crying because I was looking at everybody and I was just seeing them and, and, and thinking how lost they were and how much they changed over the past couple of months of the summer. And, and it, it just really tugged at my heart. And, and, then, and then all of a sudden it dawned on me that they were really the same. They hadn't changed. Nothing was different about them. What was different was that God was beginning to change me, and I was beginning to see things differently, and I was beginning to recognize sin for what it was, and recognizing that God had something so much better to offer. And that's what it was that made me cry. And we're here to tell you this morning that you can have that as well. But you need to make a choice. You can either go one way or the other. And Ben's going to tell you about the other way. asked to do this, the Lord laid on my heart that you guys are probably very used to hearing a bunch of well-intentioned scare tactics, people who maybe haven't experienced things quite the way you have. Some of you may have already been uh, seeking out different ways to uh, fill the void in your heart that only God can fill. Uh, my intention isn't really to give you guys horror stories on what can happen. I'm just going to say what happened to myself. And sin took me far into both drugs and alcohol, and as well as several behavioral patterns that became a lot easier when I was in bondage to that. But sin can take on many different forms. It might even seem a lot smaller. It may not necessarily be drugs and alcohol, but that's a real issue because we're all exposed to that in school. I know in Canada, it's uh, part of the culture, and part of the culture you all grow up in. It's in whatever music you listen to, whether it's rap, alternative, punk, whatever. It's, it's constantly talking about different things uh, because the God of this world is in rebellion. And, uh, but I grew up not as a rebellious child. When I was, I think this is between 13 and 15, I was actually would have been seen as quite a straight-laced good kid. I uh, actually did really well in school at that time. 
Everybody thought I was really promising. Probably if you'd asked the teacher who was most likely to succeed, they would have uh, identified me. I had a lot of, well, I had some self-confidence that was very evident. Uh, but at the same time in my personal life at that time, my mother's health was deteriorating. Uh, sometimes she'd be very healthy and happy, and at other times her health would deteriorate to the point where she was in bed or in the hospital, and sometimes you couldn't even predict what it would be when I came home, and it created a lot of instability in my life, and the devil had used that as a foothold to sow seeds of doubt in my life, and it was at an age where I was just learning to cope with everything that, and developing my personality and learning to cope with everything that life will throw at you between the ages of maybe 13 and 18, a lot of your personalities actually develop. That's where you're learning to respond to new situations in a positive way. Uh, and probably about the age between 13 to 15, I became, as my mom's health deteriorated, it was really hard to cope with, and I really didn't know how. Uh, so it created a lot of personal issues in my life, and I became, became a little more insecure. Uh, I became more aware of God's presence, although I couldn't identify it at the time, and I was running away from him because it didn't feel good to actually think about spiritual things. So I like to think about religious things at that time, church attendance, telling uh, my parents and church people what they wanted to hear, but I really had no understanding of the gospel, very little. I believed in Jesus probably the same way I would have believed in Adolf Hitler, that he existed and everything they say about him is true, it happened. Uh, and my life started to deteriorate. I started to not see bad things, things that displeased God. It didn't disturb me as much as I was becoming less and less able to cope with my mother's illness. Uh, I began to suffer anxiety because my life was unpredictable. I didn't know how my mom would be the next day. And the feeling of anxiety is, is, is a terrible feeling. You feel jittery and you can't even, it might not be because of something somebody said, it's just a feeling. And uh, that went on for a few years, you know. Uh, I was very close with my brother, but some of our issues probably rubbed off on each other. You know, I, I fed off him, he fed off me. And it, I remember, as, my, as I continued in high school, I was around 17 years old, and the one day I was walking along, I still remember it as clear as day, and I, alcohol never had any appeal to me. I wasn't even part of the cool kids, you know. And I've, I, I always wasn't one to be subject to peer pressure at first. Later on, I turned, out, I turned out to be the type that was pressuring others, and I was the one on the opposite side of peer pressure. But at that time, I was always fairly independent. I, I uh, wouldn't dance to the tune of anybody else's drum, so to speak. I was walking along the one day at 17 years old, and a thought entered my head, a thought that now, as a Christian, I know was uh, of diabolical origin. It was completely satanic. It was just a what if. What if you go to that liquor store and you buy alcohol? It was curiosity too. And I thought to myself, you know, I began to rationalize and even talk sort of to the devil, although I didn't see it at that time. When you're weighing the pros and cons of sin, who you're really weighing it with is the devil. You're actually speaking to him. And he has the upper hand, regardless of you weighing the pros and cons of all these decisions. So I was doing that. And then on an impulse, I went in there. Now, I was 17 years old. The drinking age in Canada is uh, 19, 19 years old. It's a little less than in the States for you Americans that are here. But I looked a lot older than my age. I probably looked 19. I had as thick of a beard as I have now. Well, I just shaved yesterday, so it's not that thick for you guys to see. But 
I had a full beard at 17, 17 years old, so I looked a lot older than I was. So I went in there and I sort of didn't know anything about alcohol, but I went and bought a bottle of hard liquor, like 80 proof liquor, and took it home. And this is very uncharacteristic of a very good kid, a good kid in the eyes of the world, let's say. I'll qualify that statement. Uh, so I went home and uh, with my mother's health, sometimes she was emotional, emotionally vulnerable and sometimes in her pain, extreme pain she had, sometimes she'd pass out, she's in so much pain, but other times she'd be irritable and it bothered me. I couldn't recognize it was caused by her pain. That wasn't really the mother I loved. You know, people behave differently when they're in extreme pain. And it really always bothered me. I couldn't understand it. So I went into my room and then I had this bottle of liquor there. Never had liquor before, you know, and this is pretty hard stuff. I didn't have any tolerance to it, so I, I took a good mouthful of it. And all of a sudden, maybe 30, 40 seconds later, this anxiety I was feeling, these unsure feelings, they sort of disappeared, you know? And I felt different, like, quite different. And all of a sudden, this bothered me less and less, like maybe a half an hour later. I wasn't really bother bothered at all. I'm just like, the whole novelty of a new sensation uh, overcame what I was feeling prior to that. And then I finished that bottle of liquor off on my own. Of course, my parents didn't know this. I wasn't drinking because anybody else pressured me into it. And this happened for a while. I began to enjoy this, you know. This happens very differently from most kids that are pressured into it with peer pressure. But eventually, I'm like, my church, the church kids your age really weren't drinking at 17. And I'm like, I can buy this stuff. They can't. Uh, okay, so with some of them, I'd buy it and we'd all drink. And it was a pretty cool thing to us, you know. Novelty. We can actually get alcohol whenever we want. I'd always go to the liquor store. I'd always be served. Well, just about always. Sometimes I said I forgot my ID and I have to walk out when they ask for ID. But uh, then it became a social thing. It became cool. And I have, of course, because I was drinking on my own time to deal with these emotions that I didn't know how to deal with, I was developing a higher tolerance than some of these kids who it was very new to. And I was drinking every day. And this happened for several years where I became into a lifestyle where where everything we did, including CFG activities, I'd bring alcohol along. And I thought I was pretty cool because we could sometimes hide it from some people. I'm sure some people knew, but even if the ones that would have confronted it, which they did upon occasion, it would just make us want it more because they were lecturing us. They meant well, but they come with a very judgmental tone. Like It appeared to me that it was a very judgmental tone. Now, looking back, I know they cared for me. But at the time, to me, it was, uh, they were, they were just coming at me and, you know, they didn't respect who I was, my choice, whatever. I had a rebellious heart. This happened for a few years where I began to go to bars even underage. I, uh, my brother and I were both drinking together. Every event had to have alcohol involved to be fun, whether it was going to the movies, which at that time we weren't even allowed to go to the theaters. My parents didn't let us at that point. Uh, you know, before church events. I was drinking a lot. And then the one year I had to come to Eastern Camp uh, I was probably, you know, 19 at the time, not legal drinking age in the States, and there were a few days that I couldn't have alcohol at camp. Now, for a few years, I went to camp a few years in a row. A lot of times, I was, you learn how to bend the rules, so we were drinking on campus a lot. But there was one day we ran out, and because the drinking age is different, we had a hard time getting it. And I remember feeling very sick, you know, for the first time. I didn't know what it was, like panic attacks, chest pains. I was shaking, like if I would have wanted to write notes, which I didn't at that time, but let's say I would have wanted, I couldn't have written properly. And 
At that point, I was physically addicted as well as psychologically addicted. Still thinking it's cool, still going off campus, you know, an uh, hour or two away with different girls from camp, whatever, my age or even actually younger. It's a bad scene. And, uh, and we thought it was really cool, you know, and other people saw it and they were sort of secretly envious and we, whatever, we, we, we became identified with the drug we were doing. Later on, my brother, he uh, introduced me to marijuana and I overcame my initial apprehension of doing an illegal drug. So the first time I had experience with that, I felt different in a different way I did with alcohol, actually, in a way that didn't even seem as dangerous. I wasn't angry, I was mellow. It seemed not to modify my mood as much. It's a very pleasant experience. It opens your eyes almost to, to think ways you didn't, to view things didn't, to have a different, find things funny that you wouldn't have thought funny normally. You can spot weird things that you would never spot otherwise. It opens up the powers of observation. And I wasn't afraid, you know. I wasn't really paranoid because I was my brother, and you only get paranoid if you're with people that are paranoid. He wasn't. And uh, I thought, this isn't so bad, you know. This isn't even as bad as alcohol. I'm not addicted to this. Maybe I can even do this a lot and not drink as much. Because at this point, I sort of, I, if he, in my heart, I knew I had a problem with alcohol. It's fairly evident because if I didn't have it in the morning, I'd be really sick. And this is somebody that's in their late teens. Uh, so then I began to do drug as a lifestyle, and it got worse than that, you know. And things that used to really bother me, behaviors that used to really bother me before when I was 15, 16, 17, they didn't bother me at all. I'd actually seek those kind of behave, those kind of activities out, the opportunity to engage in those kind of activities. And I would look down on the church kids that didn't, even if the church kids was, weren't Christians, but they were wiser than me, they listened to their parents' advice, I would look down on them because they're not having as good of a time. The kids that were into sports, we thought they were pretty, we thought they were pretty boring, you know, these jocks into sports, we were, we're smoking up all the time, we're having a much fun time, and even when we drank with them, they would get really drunk. So we thought we were pretty cool, and the devil was, because of what we did, and the devil was really building my pride, you know, thinking, I, look, at the consequences haven't caught up with me. Because, you know, I can even get rid of this withdrawal feeling from alcohol by having more. So there really wasn't any consequences at that time that were evident to me. Uh, but then we began to use more and more drugs, you know. You're never satisfied with just a little. Weed's a pretty boring drug when it comes down to it. It gives you a bit of a pleasant feeling. But to tell you the truth, it's, it's, not, a, it's not very exciting. So we, we, we got into coke, my brother and I, other drugs that gave us a feeling of empowerment, a feeling of boldness. And one thing those drugs do is any other experience in life, you know, including, let's say, what we're doing now and even sitting and hearing a sermon, it does not, it, you don't always feel the same way, right? Sometimes you can even be let down with spiritual activities because of the condition of your heart at the time, because of your emotions at the time. But with drugs and alcohol, to me, Every time I did it, I achieved an effect which altered my thinking in what I thought was a pleasant way. So it becomes an idol very fast and a powerful idol, far more powerful of an idol than, let's say, sports, nice cars, things like that. It never lets you down. It's always there for you. You have a drink and you have enough, depends on your tolerance. You're going to feel different. And when I went to church, I didn't always feel convicted, you know. That, it, the devil made me seem like that was letting me down. And this whole time my heart was growing, you know, harder and harder. And 
even to get in touch with my emotions, to, to feel anything, I had to have alcohol, you know what I mean? To feel normal. And at the same time, we were pressuring other people into it, in, in, into doing this, and creating a lot, of, uh, a lot of havoc among the church children, you know? I got my younger cousin, Michael Kovach, who shared it in his testimony. We were with him when when he was like probably your age, 13, and we got involved in that sort of thing with him. He used to ride along with us. He's, he, he would allow me to share this with you. Uh, and I still feel guilty to this day, you know. He could have converted earlier. And it got so bad that I could never drive without, because the withdrawal was so bad, I couldn't function without alcohol. So I always drove drunk. I never drove sober. I would be drinking from morning till night. I don't want to scare people, and I don't want to brag about it, but that's how far it takes you. It takes you to the point where when you don't have alcohol, you don't have the substance, you're sweating. You're up at night. You've got cold sweats. You've got chest pains. You know? Uh, you look like a wreck. You look like you're higher than you do if you've had the alcohol in your system or the, or the drug. And I was always driving over the legal limit. Like, we'd be drinking all day long and then going out at night and partying. And sometimes driving home, and I, could, I would be seen double, driving all the way home across two different cities, from Waterloo to Kitchener. And I'd have to cover one eye just so I could see straight. And I did this hundreds of times. You know, I could have killed people. It's by the grace of God, I didn't kill people. But it did catch up to me. The one day I was driving along in the morning, or maybe mid-afternoon. I was drinking since the morning. No more than I did at other, in other days of the week. And from my perspective, a light pole jumped out in the middle of the road. You know, they have a funny tendency to do that when you've been drinking. And uh, I totaled my car. I shouldn't have walked away alive. And I, needless to say, I've lost my license. I still don't drive because of that. Uh, every time I cross the border, it's a risk, you know. I, w I was living with that. I lost my license. You think that would have woke me up, and I resolved that I'm going to give this up. So I went to AA, you know. And AA is a lot, of like, a lot like false religion at times, if your heart isn't right or if the people there aren't Christians. And the people there were having these steps, like we've heard we certain steps to by works, you know obviously not how the gospel works, but they were trying to do this in AA. You know, you take a 12-step program, and you always, every day you're admitting your lack of power, you know, but you believe in God, who you, uh, is whoever you want him to be, so forth. That didn't work, needless to say. It actually opened my eyes that, hey, I'm in big trouble, because look at these guys, they're sober, but they're in even worse shape than I am, their lives suck so bad. You know, it made me want to drink, going to AA. And then, God began to convict me, and so I wanted to, you know, because then that I had a problem. And then one day, I met a girl on the bus, and she invited me. I didn't know this girl. She invited me to a Christian event, and uh, I told her, you know, I go to church. I was talking very ceremonious, very sermonizing to her. I go to church. It's great. I'm not interested at all. And then she told me it's a Christian rap event, and I'm like, no, I'm not interested at all. And then she goes, well, can I have your, f I'll give you my pastor's phone number. And I'm like, okay. So I took it, whatever, to get her off my back. And I started talking religious to her, too. I'm a Christian, or I go to church, blah, 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 quoting scripture. I thought it would get her 
you know, be evasive a little bit, tell people what they want to hear. Needless to say, I went home, I phoned this up out of curiosity. He told me about the event. No, 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 I don't agree with this. this. God works this way, God works that way. I'm not interested. And I kind of made the guy, really belittled him, you know. But I wanted to quit drinking. And then, funny thing is, two weeks later, I get a phone call. And that night, I actually prayed to God. God, I can't stop. I try to quit for like eight hours. My heart is, is pounding. I know I'm not going to sleep that night. I'm feeling cold, but I'm sweating, you know. It feels like the ground's shaking underneath me. I'm trying to quit, you know, because I want to be a Christian. And I get this phone call from this guy. I've never met him. And then I remember asking about his church. What do you believe in? All these stuff. Well, you know what? And I'm preaching to him. But then, just before I left, I believe it's God put it on my heart. The Spirit of God, in his mercy, despite my pride, put it in my heart. And I said to him, well, I'm a bad alcoholic. I've been trying to quit. Tonight I want to quit. Can you pray for me? And he prayed for me on the phone. And uh, I woke up the next day. That night I slept. I woke up the next day feeling clear. I didn't have any alcohol withdrawal. I didn't have a desire. From that point, I've never drank since. Not since. I've talked to people that are, uh, people that are in the field of rehabilitation, the recovery field. They said that that's a miracle. That doesn't happen. People usually have to. That's a deliverance, what it's called. That happens very seldom. And among secular authorities, that's not supposed to happen. It doesn't work that way. At that point, I didn't drink. I thought, great, you know, I'm a Christian. I don't drink, I'm going to read the Bible, I don't have this. And I got addicted to a worse drug, which was man-made religion. You know, I told people what they wanted to hear, came to church, read the Bible, but was judging my brother, who was still in alcohol and drugs. Maybe judging other church kids who hadn't cleaned up, who I corrupted in the first place. And God even rescued me through that. That's not going to be the focus of my testimony. But what my focus is is that God sets eternity in the heart of man. He gives you a feeling, and as you grow older, it's a desire. It's a desire for more than what your life right now has to offer. Sometimes we mistake that desire. The devil whispers stuff in our ears that the reason we're not getting this is because our parents are withholding certain pleasures from us. You know what I mean? Whether it's something small like going to the theaters or whether it's something like allowing you to have alcohol or having a girlfriend, whatever it is. And the devil did that to Adam and Eve. He says, you know what? God doesn't want you to have that apple because then you'll be like him. God's holding out. That's the biggest lie. God's holding out. It's a half-truth. Yes, these things feel good. Sin has a pleasure for a season. It feels great. In fact, at the time you think it's the, it overwhelms you. But it's a lie, you know? And what it did to me is, even though I'm a Christian now, when I was your age, I was supposed to be develop emotionally. Well, I didn't. I stunted it. Right now, and I'm almost 30 years old without a driver's license. I'm single. When most of my friends are married, uh, certain things trigger me more readily than it would somebody else. I'm about as emotionally mature between probably a 13 and a 15-year-old because the whole time I was supposed to be maturing, discovering new things, I was stunting my emotional development. And even though I'm saved, even though I can stand up here and talk with confidence with with people like you, in, in my own spare time, I struggle emotionally. That other people who aren't even Christians, who never did alcohol, won't struggle that way. They're better equipped to handle things that they're uncomfortable with. And even though I was delivered, I'm still left with those emotional scars. Now God uses me in spite of them, and because of them, maybe I'm even be able to be a better minister to people. As, not, not a minister, as an elected minister, but mi better minister to people.
But what I'm saying is, all these things, it's a half-truth. And some of you may have delved into whatever it is. And it does feel good, but you know what? It'll separate you from God. And if you ever intend on being a Christian, you will regret it. So don't try to go out and hit rock bottom, you know, and experience it for yourself. Some people will do it anyways. I know that. It'd be idealistic to think some of you won't. But take my word for it. If you really want to be, have a very uh, fulfilled life later on, and you want Christian service to come easier to you, you know what I mean? Right now, I can't give people rides. People that, when I was 16, I was giving my little uh, cousins rides when they were seven or eight, taking them fishing, right, before I got into drugs and alcohol. Now they're giving me rides, and I'm 30, you know? I can't give kids ride to, rides to CFG. I can't visit old people at church because I don't have a driver's license. The, the scars are still there, and the devil uses that against me to discourage me in ways that he can't discourage people that hadn't delved into sin so far. So, you know, the Bible says that if you confess Jesus with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that you will be saved, and believe in your heart that uh, God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. That means counting the cost. Part of that cost is giving up your friends who will pressure you into this, giving up the whole idea of being cool. And you know what? Every time you give something up for God, He gives something back to you a hundredfold, you know? Not, maybe not what you expected, but it's a hundred times more valuable, and maybe even a hundred times greater. For instance, let's say all the cool kids are doing drugs at school. And it's pleasant to be in their company. It's fun. If you give that up and enter a church family, instead of having, you know, a dozen cool friends, you have hundreds of cool friends. It's returned to you a hundredfold. So if you count that cost and that has any appeal to you, to be afraid of the fear, to, to be free from the fear of death, you know, to be on a better drug than anything that the world can offer, any better pleasure than sin itself, you know, ask God to bring you to repentance, and he will. It's a gift from God. He brings you to repentance. No man comes to the Father unless, comes to Christ unless the Father first draws him. And today, you're all here. You've all been drawn to Jesus. You wouldn't be here otherwise. So respond, you know. And your life can be far more exciting than, you'll be far further ahead than I am right now because you won't have made the mistakes I've made. I'd like to conclude with that. Thanks, Ben, for sharing that uh, with all of us. You've heard the, the tale of two souls. I want to tell you about a story in the Bible that I'm sure you're all familiar with. It's called the, the parable of the prodigal son, but we really know that it's a story about two sons. And I guess in many ways, these two sons were kind of like Ben and myself. You see, we usually think about the prodigal son, the one who was the younger one, and he, he went to his father and he said, basically he said, I've had it, I've had enough of this, I want out, give me what's coming to me and let me go. And the father reluctantly gave him his share of the inheritance and the Bible says that the son left his father's house and he wasted everything that he had on riotous living. In other words, he lived it up and did all of the things that his father taught him were wrong. And in the end, he ended up with nothing. Actually ended up with a job 
uh, taking care of pigs, but he couldn't even eat the stuff that the pigs didn't eat. He was that hungry. And then the Bible says that he, he came to himself and he realized, what am I doing here? How crazy is this? Here I am starving and in my father's house, the servants there, they have plenty to eat and I'm starving to death. And then he said that he'll go back. The story goes on that he, he asked for forgiveness and his father took him back and, and there was a celebration that, that the son that was lost was now found. But then the Bible also tells us about the older son, the one who never left home. He stayed home. He worked for his dad. Appears that he did everything right. But if you read carefully the story, you find out that the older son also had a problem. And even though he didn't do all of those bad things and didn't do all of those things wrong, he needed to repent and he needed to change just as much. And I guess that's kind of the story about Ben and myself. Even though he chose a different road and did a lot of things that he regrets now. And I'm thankful that, that I was spared from a lot of those things and didn't do them. In the end, both of us had to repent. Both of us had to recognize that we were sinners. Both of us had to recognize that we weren't right with God. And both of us needed to give our lives to the Lord. And both of us were able to experience salvation. And I'm sharing that story from the Bible with you because I think it's important for you to see that you too, as good as you are, as good as you think you are right now, and maybe some of you are dabbling in the very things that Ben's been talking about, or starting to test the waters as I did. But all of you need to make a choice. And I think it's really, it was really a neat idea to have these testimonies shared with your age group. And let me tell you why that is, because I believe that all of you are at a crossroad in your life. You have some very important decisions to make. None of you are too young to decide that you want to be a Christian. And even though you may think in your heart and in your mind, well, I'm going to give it a couple more years, I'll wait a little bit longer, let me tell you that you're not too young to decide that you want to be a Christian. Because if you decide, if you don't make that decision, rather, right now, you will start making decisions and choices that could very easily lead you down that road. The scary thing is that some of you are going to do that. Some of you are going to do, do what I did and recognize that to give your life to Jesus at a young age is the very best thing, but some of you are not going to do it. And I'm not saying that because, obviously, because I know that know somebody here and, 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 and can predict that. I can't do that. But statistically, what I've observed over the years and what really does happen is that some of you are going to make the wrong choice and go down the wrong road. And if you do, hopefully you'll be able to pull out of it with God's grace the way Ben and Jeff did and find God's forgiveness. But the reality is that some of you won't even be able to do that. Something tragic might happen before that happens. 
or you just might get caught up in a lifestyle that leads you farther and farther away from God. At the same time, there will be those of you that will choose to give your life to Jesus while you're young, to do it now. And I want to encourage you to do that. There's a song that we sing in our Zion's Harp. And maybe you haven't caught the words in the past, but I'd like you to think about the words next time they're sung. It's, the song is 144, and it's the fifth verse. And I can tell you from my own experience that the words are true. The words are, Blessed is he, and rich will he be, who from early youth has found in his Savior salvation and truth. I told you at the beginning that I can't tell you from experience that to go that road, to go the other road, was a mis- would have been a mistake. But I can tell you from experience, from the experience of having given my life to the Lord at a young age, that it has been a blessing. God has blessed me in ways that I would never have imagined. And not only in that the things that he spared me from, but also in the things that I was able to experience as a Christian. And in time, he provided for a lot of things that I need in life and many things that I wanted in life. Among them, to have a beautiful wife, a beautiful family, and a beautiful church, and fellow believers, and people that care for me, and people that I can care for. And I wouldn't trade any of those things for anything that the world has to offer. And so you young people are at a crossroad today. and You need to make some important decisions. And just on behalf of Ben and myself and your parents and a lot of other people that are praying for you, we hope that you make the right choice. We hope that you choose Jesus and that, as you know it so well, and as the Bible teaches, that you would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and let God add the rest to you. Everything you need, and he'll even give you some of the things that you want because he knows they'll be right for you and good for you. And I can assure you that you will not regret that choice, that decision. I don't know if I give opportunity for anybody to ask questions, if you'll do that. I would like to just do that. If there's any of you young people that have a question for, for Ben or for myself, um, it might take some courage to do that, but if you'd like to do that, you're welcome to. Didn't expect it, so it's fine. Um, we're, we're finishing up a little bit earlier, but that's okay. I don't know where you guys are headed next. Um, think about what you've heard here this morning. Think about the choices that you're going to face. If you choose Jesus, if you choose the right road, the choices that you're going to make will reflect that. The choices of friends, the choices of when you say yes, when you say no, where you go, where you'll hang out, who you'll be with, types of things that you'll do, 
things you'll watch, things you'll read, type of music you listen to. All of those things are going to be affected by what you do with the choice that is in front of you. And the question is, do you want to give your life to Jesus? Do you want to decide that you want to be a Christian? And whether you decide that you want to do that right now or whether you want to do it in a few years or sometime in the future, make sure that you decide you want to be a Christian and that you pattern your life after that. And I want to tell you that if you feel that God is speaking to your heart, either this morning, I'm not going to ask you to stay behind, but if you'd like to, you can do that and talk to us. But if in any, if in any of your classes or in the inspiration hour or one of the services, you feel that the, that the Lord is talking to you personally, don't shut him out. Make sure you talk to somebody about it. Talk to some friends. Talk to your teacher. Talk to your parents. Look for somebody that would be willing to, to just listen to you and to pray with you and to, to share with you what God has done in their lives and help you to get on the right path. Why don't we just finish up here by bowing our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we want to come before you at this very moment and thank you for this time that we could spend together and, and share what you have done in our lives. We thank you, Father in heaven, most of all for Jesus, for him coming into this world and dying on the cross, shedding his precious blood for us that were lost. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that, that we have known this truth from our childhood. But probably most everyone here from their childhood has known the scriptures. And that the gospel message has been told to them, has been taught to them. So I want to pray, Heavenly Father, we want to pray for each and every one of these young people here this morning. You know their hearts and you know their lives and where they are at right now. We pray, Heavenly Father, that in their tender youth, at this age that they find themselves in, Lord, that you would be speaking to their hearts and convicting them and convincing them that now is the right time to give their lives to Jesus. Now is the right time to choose that they want to be a child of God. Now is the right time to set their feet on the right path. And that if they do that, that they will be blessed. We pray, Heavenly Father, that this week at camp would be one that they will remember as long as they live as the one in which God spoke to them personally and called them to be their child, to be his child. Pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help them to enjoy this week, enjoy their friends and the fellowship and all the fun that they can have but that they would also enjoy the blessings that you want to bring into the lives of those that will hear your call and will say yes. I pray, Heavenly Father, that all of them would say yes. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here.